0: Poya. This is Robbie. Welcome to Uncharted and Eclectic.
1: And Thanks for joining us again. Welcome to another episode of Uncharted and Eclectic. Uh, we have a really exciting guest today. Uh, Mike Davis, welcome to, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks, Robbie, and uh, welcome to Colorado for you as well.
1: Thank you. Yeah, just moved to Colorado. Excited to be here um well mike you know we we love to like typically start the podcast with just a um a really quick introduction i think before that we can maybe give a little bit of context on how we all met as the VP of sales at TaskRay, you've been a part of the Saster community and, and have participated in a couple of events. I know Poya and you go way back as well. So we're super excited to dig into a bunch of your experience, especially as it relates to kind of the Salesforce ecosystem uh, and the, the unique perspectives that you have there. But, but before we jump into all that fun stuff, maybe you could give us like kind of the quick high level on, on, on Mike and where you're from originally and what brought you to Colorado. And, and, uh, and then we can, we can kind of dive in from there.
2: Sure. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so I, uh, I grew up in upstate New York. I, I say I'm a recovering East Coaster, um, just from like the pace of life out in Colorado, but uh, still got my New York roots. Um, and then I went to uh, Massachusetts after school for and got right into SAS, kind of stumbled into it out of college through an internship and uh, worked at a company called Centive that was acquired by Exactly, which is a big uh, incentive comp uh, company. Uh, moved from uh, Massachusetts with them to Colorado or to, to California first and then uh, helped them open the office in Colorado uh, about 10 years ago now. And uh, my first job at Exactly slash Centive was uh, like help desk, not help desk, like customer support. And so like just figured out my approach to sales really from the customer support side of the world. And I think that served me uh, in the rest of my career, just giving me a little bit of a, a, little bit of a tech bent, but also like a customer uh, centric focus and, and making sure the stuff works after we sell it. Um, but uh, then I was at uh, exactly out here for a few years, went to Conga for a couple of years. They're, they're a big player in the Salesforce ecosystem as well, uh, doing doc gen and contract management. Then I uh, went to TaskRay almost three years ago, uh, first head of sales, uh, nine-year-old company, Bootstrap. Um, so had to figure out a lot of stuff. I mean, before I joined, everybody was, uh, they called them BAs, business analysts, and they would generate order forms, they would do support, they would do upsells, they would do everything, and it was kind of a Jack and Jill of all trades, and so we specialized that, and uh grew, grew that business, that business has been growing 40% year over year, uh, both the first two years there this year with COVID a little bit less, but, uh, still healthy growth.
0: And, uh, Um, most
2: recently I, uh, I went to down to four days a week at TaskRay. The founders have been awesome. And, uh, Like allowed me to chase a a passion project that's uh, built into itself into a business already Uh, signed two clients for a company called go to market guides GTM guides Um, and we're all we do is help Salesforce ISVs, so people who sell things on the Salesforce platform. do better and go to market better and turn great technology into great companies. And so um, super excited with that. Just launched it this summer and already seeing revenue from it.
1: Well, that's awesome. man! congrats on the launch. Uh, and that's go to market guides. Yes. Awesome. Well, yeah, check it out um, on, uh, on Mike's LinkedIn and we can include a link in the show notes afterwards. Um, but that, that's really exciting. So normally like, we like to kind of start in the beginning in terms of, you know, picking apart your experience and asking about stuff, but I'm actually just genuinely curious. This is kind of the only example I can think of somebody who's negotiated a day of the week uh, in a full-time role. Like, can you kind of just like share a little bit more about that and tell us how just between building trust with, with your CEO and co-founder and kind of like when you made the decision to do that. And, and if anybody in particular, like gave you the idea and how you're kind of managing your time today, because I, I would imagine it's you know, a bunch of folks who we talk to from listeners to other members and folks who we've interviewed on the podcast have have worked full time, have done consulting, but think of them as mutually exclusive. Um, so maybe if you could share a little bit more about that. I'm super interested.
2: Yeah, it's not unique, but uh, who the heck wants to be normal anyway? Um, I I, uh, I went I, I we we had a team restructure uh, this summer and through that, I I just felt like it was appropriate for me to take a pay cut. And so proposed that, but also proposed going down to four days a week. And um, I like, like you said, I mean, I I total trust bi-directionally with the founders of the company. Um, They're awesome. And they trust me to do a good job. And I trust them to, to look after me and look after the business. And so um, made the proposal to go down to four days a week. And um, for me, it's just, uh, I just set aside every Friday. Um, and like, I literally have Zoom, the Zoom app that I log out of my task for, I log into my go-to-market guides. I log out of my email, log into this email, log out of my Slack, log into that Slack, just to keep it separate, Um, And it's been working really well. I mean, it's all about expectations. And um, the one thing I was hopeful about, but uh, I've really started to see happen is uh, just the increased energy that I'm bringing to my four day week job from doing this one day a week. Because I'm working with companies and not competitive companies, never competitive companies, but like other companies in the Salesforce ecosystem. So I'm actually like learning stuff from the people I'm consulting with that I can then bring back um, uh, to, to, to TaskRay. So it's been really cool. I mean, I I'm impressed with how well it's going and uh, more globally. Like I think this could be a really unique model for us at TaskRay to do and to like, think about it. Like what is the future of work? We, we just, totally switched it from business travel and from everybody in the office uh it, on uh, like we flipped it on its head on march 13th or whatever the date was so like who's to say what it should look like like four days a week you pay everybody a little bit less than what they would get five days a week and you let them express themselves you let them follow a passion project with the fifth day of week. What what I think we could do with that is attract better talent, retain people longer because they get the excitement on the fifth day a week. Um, and like people's productivity, and you give me four good days a week. I'm happy with that. I'd rather have four good days than five mediocre days.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll add to that really quick, Robbie, just maybe in case you want to. T- so Google has actually done this, right? Like where the fifth day that you have to work within Google, but like you can work on any project that's passionate. You just have to tie it back. I actually don't know what, how it, the results went. Uh, I, I got a research on that, but uh, the thing I want to bring up, which is, I think is working. So like I've been in consulting for like the last two and a half years, so I can kind of attest to it. And in, my type of consulting, it's very performance based because um, you're in sales And for some companies, I usually work with two companies at most at a given time and I split it three and two. Uh, But historically I've actually done better two days a week or three days a week than the Mm -hmm. other folks working full time. Right. So what I'm trying to say is like, it doesn't really like this concept of like hours and everything. And I'm like, why I bring that up is like, Cause the alternative is right. Like a can lose you, right. If they don't give you that option, like you can become a free agent, right? Like, and I've just seen more and more companies go towards this, like free agent model from a talent perspective, like whether it's me, Robbie, like whoever, anyway, so it's just, I just had to comment on it because like what I'm trying to say is like, you can definitely do as much as like a full-time hire does and be as productive uh, if, you, if you have the right talent.
1: Yeah, I was reading something um, in an article uh, super randomly in The Economist about uh, the, like this German union who was putting together this bill. Apparently, there's really strong like union labor laws in the country of Germany. And um, they were putting together like a proposal for like, I don't know, a big union of like engineers who worked at different car plants to move to four days a week. And it's like it represents like an enormous amount of the workforce. Mo- most of the like, German workforce, I think, in the auto industry is like unionized. And I think it's going to get like passed. And so, like, there's countries that are actually, like, shifting large percentages of the entire, like, population of the workforce to four days a week in, like, very kind of profitable, like, core sectors. Um, and I, I don't know, I think there's a little bit of a, um, uh, a little bit of a mindset in, um, in the U.S., um, as well as in tech, and especially in startups about, like, what those hours are supposed to look like, which actually, I think, is, is, a, is a good segue, because you had mentioned earlier in the call, Mike, about you know, uh, you're sort of a recovering East Coaster. We talked about this a little bit last time. I'd love for you to maybe talk a little bit about how your mindset of the way you approached work when you were in Boston, like out of college, like, you know, getting after it, you kind of talked about the seven to seven mindset and how that has sort of like changed now that you're living in like Denver or, or, or like another place and, and just how you've been able to kind of readjust your own expectations uh, as an individual and as a leader for a, for a part of the country that maybe looks at work a little differently.
2: Yeah the hardest part is for me to sort of reset my expectations of myself. Like I think for my team, it's actually easier for me to like uh, to just readjust expectations because the work life balance in Colorado, like I, I, I talk about it as like a Colorado uh, sales culture. and it's just different than East Coast for sure, different than California for sure. Um, but like, yeah, when I, when I started, I mean, I was like 7 a.m., 7 p.m., uh, like every day, um, at at my first jobs and like, that's all I knew. So I like, and, and that's also East coast, you just kind of go, 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 like you got that work ethic and it's about how much hours you're putting in and, um, just face time and all of that good stuff. And then uh, moving to California, California is like the middle, like, it's like, uh, you're still working hard, still super high expectations. But then there's like this life thing that people start to really care about and focus about. And then in Colorado, it's just like the total opposite end of the spectrum where it's like, yeah, like we work hard, but like, I by three o'clock on a Friday, like, no, nobody's doing something like Robbie, you'll see it going to the mountains, uh, this, this winter, if you're not in your car by noon on Friday, like you're in traffic all the way up i 70 to the mountains. Uh, and so I think it's just indicative of like people just getting out of Dodge and, and people understanding that you don't have to punch clock all day. And I mean, the adjustment for me is just like, I'm, I'm such a get shit done person. Um, I'm biased towards, like, always looking for new stuff to do and new problems to solve. Like, I'm a fixer, whether or not my wife likes that. Um, I look for problems, and I try to solve them. But, uh, but yeah, it's just different, and uh, it's, it's an adjustment that creeps back in all the time.
0: The thing that you brought up, now that you're your own owner, right, The like, I, I, it sounds like you, you've always had this bias reaction, right, no matter what. But I think something changes when you become your own owner. Like right now you're doing it one day a week. What's been what's been the biggest surprise to you on something that you're like, hey, I didn't even think I could do this? Or like, what's something that you, that's, I guess, like a, not an awakening, but that's been like brought up to your awareness that like surprised you the most, whether it could be about work, it could be about management, it could be about anything.
2: Yeah, I mean, specifically with being a founder of, a, of the company for the first time, um, it's uh, like accepting the fact that I'm and realizing the fact that I'm an expert in something and like really deeply knowing that like I would venture to say and it's so weird to say out loud, uh, but like top 10, top 20, top 50 easily um, go to market leaders in the Salesforce ecosystem. And like that acceptance and like recognition of when I'm talking to founders or heads of sales at at companies that are uh, like figuring out the Salesforce ecosystem for the first time, um, like just acknowledging that and like taking ownership of it has been unique and then I also priced my stuff way too low like I've, I've been fortunate to sign two clients so then I it, it's probably related to me not accepting my expertise as much but uh uh
0: so I've I've fixed that uh, for new clients going forward just wait till you work for a really big giant client and you're like holy cow these guys don't know these basic fundamentals that's going to be your I think <laughs> biggest awakening one day uh I, I, I'll i pass it on to Robbie in a second. But the the question I had uh, for you is you only focus today on Salesforce. Like if someone asked you, Hey, would you do Oracle? Would you do another ecosystem? Is the answer to that is no, or are you open to learning about the other? Like, are you, are you that niche? I guess is what I'm trying to
2: say. Uh, so I am that niche. Um, like in true uh, Jeffrey Moore crossing the chasm, like my Normandy, uh my beachhead is uh is Salesforce ISVs specifically. Okay. Um and then uh I've, I've actually been speaking to a friend and mentor of mine um who's like a top alliances person, um happens to be in Salesforce, but also outside of it. Um And he's been encouraging me to uh, explore that down the road, but like at least for the next 12 to 24 months, I'm gonna nail my niche um, and and stay focused on that. Other ecosystems from an alliances and go to market perspective are are very similar. Um, Like there's not anything like totally unique, but there are some unique uh, attributes to the Salesforce ecosystem. And so, uh, Poya, to answer your question directly, like, for now, I'm going to stay, I'm going to get some great client uh, feedback. I'm going to build a brand around Salesforce ISPs and then potentially branch out into one or two or three other uh, type of ecosystems.
1: And and curious, Mike, like what are some for folks that are new to like the ecosystem world or maybe don't sell into ecosystems today outside of Salesforce? Like what are maybe a couple other like popular SaaS ecosystems that, you know, you would think about branching out into as sort of like obvious parallels to what you're doing today?
2: Yeah, I mean, HubSpot has a really strong one and that's CRM as well. Oracle, which Poya mentioned is an obvious one. SAP um, uh, uh, too. But I mean ecosystems are popping up all over the place. You look at Stripe, like they have a robust ecosystem now and that thing's growing like crazy. Um, And so any tech brand that is, I think I would be, I think it's important that they're monetizing it. Like Slack has an ecosystem, but they're not monetizing it for partners yet. And so like follow the money, follow the revenue and you'll, you'll see the focus. And so I would anticipate Slack's focus, for instance, wouldn't be really on building the ecosystem at the same level that it would be if partners have to pay a tax to, to, to play in that space.
1: Very cool. And are there any, um, are you seeing more founders these days building, like an ecosystem model, like intentionally right from the get-go. I think it's one of those things, and I, I can take a step back from that question and give a little bit of context. Uh, a client that that I used to work with, Ingram Micro, or a customer, I should say. Like they they have a big initiative. You know, Ingram Micro is the biggest reseller software in the world. They do you know tens of billions of dollars. I think you know, even just selling like Microsoft Office subscriptions to companies all over the world. Sometimes you don't even know you're buying from Ingram Micro. They they invest a lot in uh, sort of startup uh, pitch competitions and incubators and in really early stage, just to get visibility in front of founders about like building your go to market with partnerships and uh like channel in mind because i think a lot of founders don't really think about that as like a distribution strategy right out of the gates what have you noticed like working with founders and, and being really close to these different uh exchanges and channels as far as like trends or things you've been seeing in terms of founders like being intentional about building like with the channel strategy right from the get-go
2: And that's the reason why you build, like, I think in Salesforce terms, like that's the reason why you build an app on the Salesforce ecosystem and invest all this, this time to build technology. Like if you didn't care, oh, AWS is uh, the other obvious uh, ecosystem that I might explore down the road. Um, But like, if you didn't care about an ecosystem for, for it, you would just build it on AWS, right? You wouldn't build it on Salesforce. So like, to think that you're going to, I do talk to a lot of founders who haven't thought through it, and I think it's a, a real tragic mistake because the product marketing that you bring to market, your your messaging, your tone, your, your sales process, your discovery process, all of those are different for your customers than they are for your partners. And so I unfortunately am seeing a lot of founders who kind of ignore that or expect that just kind of show up like hey like feel the dreams type thing if you build it they will come um but yeah like being intentional out of the gate i would say is the reason that you built an app on the salesforce platform like if if you're not focused on it then you should have built on aws
0: and what do you think it makes sense do you think from day one it makes sense to go like not even the Salesforce ecosystem. Like go the channel partner or the partner. Like I, it's it's not an expertise I have. Like our, at least for me, like it, I've always been the direct sales uh, model. What do you think it makes sense to bring in? And like, what do you? I guess what's the framework or thought process?
2: Now that I'm a consultant, I can give this answer. It depends, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd have to know more about the specific situation. No, but it, I mean, it depends, right? Like early wins validating product market fit um like you should you need to do that beforehand um, before you really like go like fully focused into a channel because like why spend the extra cycles to build a, a channel if you don't have product market fit um, but i still think you should think about it early and like just the recognition of knowing that like you can't copy paste your marketing materials, um, and then expect to get channel success is like an important lesson that, that I've learned. Um, but yeah, boy, I would, I would have to take the, uh, it depends answer there.
0: Okay. Fair enough. So I'm going (laughs) to throw, I'm going to, I'm going to follow that up. Uh, You know, sometimes in sales, right. When you're in direct sales, you're looking for leading KPIs to see if like you're on the right direction. Leading KPIs could be meetings or your pipeline or what percentage are converting, right? If If you can't yet knock it, if it's like not revenue or something. How do you assess leading KPIs for partnerships? What I'm trying to ask, right, is I think it takes a while to see the engine moving in the right direction. So how do you, like, what are those milestones that allow you to make sure you're on the right direction.
2: Yeah. Um, and so in the Salesforce ecosystem, at least, like there's the Salesforce AEs and SEs and customer success folks. So those have slightly different metrics than other ISVs that might be complementary, and they have different metrics than um, Salesforce system integrators, the actual people doing the implementation. So all of them will have slightly different indicators, but um, I mean, the earliest metric, like, and I, I, I use metric loosely, um, but it's, it's, are you pushing or pulling? Um, like, it, it, for instance, let's use the system integrators for, ex- for an example, because there's 1,500 of them. Like, how do you, how do you figure out which ones to go after? Okay, so you decide on that based on industry and market segment and where you've seen early success, so you get down to 50 of the 1,500. Great. Now you have a target and you can KPI around like how many people respond to your emails, how many people take a first meeting to see an overview of your solution, how many people are open to signing a referral agreement. Um, And so those are kind of the leading indicators that will hopefully follow from, uh, or like lead to deals that are in your pipeline. And those are easy, easier to measure. You just look at lead source and opportunity source, and then you can start looking at that. Um, but yeah early days it's like just like are you pushing are you solely pushing or is there like does there get to that point where the SI is inviting a VP on that conversation instead of just an alliances manager are they bringing in their chief uh, like delivery officer are they wanting to educate their team about this product and that's a little bit more nebulous
1: Mm, that's super interesting because it's like that level of detail and that level of like specific knowledge is pretty unique to you which is like a great moat that you've built you know for the go-to-market guides model um but it's interesting because it's like i think about how somebody even gets in the career path of channels and partnerships because it's it would say like relatively unconventional if you're coming through the ranks like poya did of like an oracle that's got very much like a programmatic mindset if you come in as a bdr and then maybe you're like outbound and then you could jump into an inside sales role or maybe you move to customer success and you come up that rank kind of like you did mike um you know i most of the folks who i know like you know a a mutual connection of of poya and i's peter molnar um a guy who's worked in like the the you know uh channel partnerships ecosystem in and around Salesforce for most of his career, there's not like a clear like linear path for like how people get there. So I'm kind of curious for you, for folks that are like earlier in their career, thinking about channel partnerships and, and what that could mean for them, how might you recommend like somebody position themselves to get really good at this? Because um, it does seem like this is a uh, go-to-market channel that, that a lot more companies are building towards. And um, there's really specific expertise right now, so I'm curious, like, how you see that working as far as institutionalizing that knowledge a bit more and opening up career opportunities for people.
2: Yeah, one thing. Let me uh,
0: me I I, I thought I I thought the answer was going to be it's it's folks that can't make it in sales move them (laughs)
2: over. I mean, that's the perspective. Like, like that's the perspective, and, and frankly, that's the path that a lot of people have taken. And like, I've been fortunate enough to like come up through the sales ranks um, from SMB to mid market to enterprise to named accounts and then uh, head of sales. and so then it's just like, I love it. Like, and, and maybe it's unique to the Salesforce ecosystem, but I freaking love the Salesforce ecosystem. Like it gives me so much energy. Um, but the a book I'm reading right now, it's pretty dry. It's kind of like a, uh, it's, it's more of, a, like, college, like, course book than anything else, the Strategic Alliance Handbook. Um, There's a, there's actually an alliance, like, certification um, that you can take. This book's, like, 150, 200 bucks, Um, but uh, they also do a certification, and so, like, that would be a good route to go, but I would say just, like, join an established company that has a head of alliances as a junior sdr bdr whatever you call them on the on the partner team and
0: come up the ranks that way Mm -hmm. or 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 try going into sales and and if you don't make it just pivot Uh, i
2: i think sales i think everybody should be in sales at some point in their life um and i'm sure you guys probably agree given the audience but uh but no, I mean I love sales. It's like it's part of everything that we do personally and professionally.
0: Yeah. If if I was I in college tell-
1: Yeah, go ahead, Robbie. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's tough for people at like a certain stage of life to stomach the idea of having like at least 50% of their compensation tied to individual performance. Like when you get like after maybe you have a kid or you've got a mortgage or you've got these more like predictable sort of expenses in your life. And this is just like one example. um, I think it's harder for people who kind of don't come up and taste success in sales early to make the move over. But I think it's kind of a shame. Like I I do think that there are people like you're alluding to who even at later stages in their career could come in and be such effective salespeople, people who have channel expertise, product expertise, technical expertise, founder expertise, like whatever it is that um, don't have all of that like uh, sales kind of like angst and urgency baked in and like can have a much better buying journey. Most customers could. Um, So I I agree with the sentiment that more people probably could spend some time in sales. But I think to some degree, the incentives aren't set up to invite more people in later on down the road.
2: Well, and during good times, I mean, like you look at what like the last decade anyway, like even even poor reps could make a decent living and and you're, you're, you're hitting numbers and then this year you see you see the reason why that so much money is at risk and that uh, sales is a really tough job is because of Robbie what you're talking about the variability and it's for it takes a, ter- a certain type of personality to to uh, to enjoy that um, and you don't want I mean you all know like you don't want to uh, have hire people who are myopically focused on their paycheck like I always say like hey I want people who want to hit their goal first and foremost and then they're kind of delighted by the paycheck at the end of the day and just trust that it'll follow versus like but yeah I mean some months you earn like you earn almost the same as your OTE and other months you earn
1: zero or next to zero it's tough yeah. Sorry, Poi, I didn't mean to cut you off back there. You,
0: know you no, you, you don't need to be sorry. Um, the question I had was actually, you worked for these companies that not all of them were uh, bootstrapped, right? Uh, like exactly. And some of the other ones that have had success, like they've raised a lot of money. A lot of them have gotten acquired by PE firms, right? Uh, whereas then you went to TaskRant; it was a bootstrap company. So I, what I'm trying to, I guess, get at is what are the advantages and disadvantages from a, I'm not talking about from like a sales or like a revenue or go to market angle, From more of like a channel uh, sales model between those two companies.
2: Yeah, um, so I would say, I would say that being bootstrapped gives us ultimate flexibility to invest where we wanna invest and not have to grow at all costs um, like we don't have any covenants we don't have any like vcs that are looking to take over and oust the ceo um, so that's good that gives us like extra patience to experiment the downside is that experimentation specifically anywhere in the channel like the pool of dollars is just that much smaller so like the 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 uh, amount of money you can use on an experiment to see if there's an ROI is shrunk, the leash is shrunk, um, and then when you figure it out, like, I mean, we 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 track payback period. We, we look to have an 18-month payback period as, like, our absolute bottom line. Like, we o- o- almost always, like, overachieve that these days, um, even during COVID, and so, like there's, there's good parts of it because you get ultimate flexibility, you get to really be vision focused, you get to focus on your employees and, and make sure you're doing right by them and and for your customers. But the downside is you just have to be more methodical and a little bit slower about your investments.
1: That's awesome. And uh, yeah, thanks for the perspective on um, the bootstrap side of it—it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's a really cool business that TaskRay has built. Um, well, listen, Mike, I, I think we could um, we could spend and probably do a whole nother episode on the experiences you've had and all the learnings that you're picking up along the journey with go to market guides and channel and all that good stuff. And and uh, but but I think um, we'll, we'll save that for a future episode. But we do like to wrap these episodes with one question um, for you. Uh, and, and the question is, um, if you were to you know go back uh, go back in time to you know seven to seven Mike in Boston you know walking to work freezing cold iced coffee in hand what advice would you give to yourself looking back on the journey um, based on everything you've learned
0: it was Dunkin
2: Donuts Dunkin Donuts thank you Poya. Uh I was, I was triggered there um, I mean I would like what got me there got me here so I want to change it a whole damn lot but that's not a good answer um I would say to not take yourself so damn seriously um and I I still try to I struggle with that today like it's business like it should be fun like um we don't have to be so serious all the time and like 23 24 year old Mike like thought that every day, every customer interaction was, like, life or death. And, like, I think that's what partly drove me to, to, uh, to like, work so, such long hours. Like, have fun. Like, tell jokes. Like, send memes and emails. Like, it doesn't have to be so damn serious. I guess that's, <laughs> a, that's a better answer than nothing. <laughs> I love that.
0: It, it's a great answer. I, I used to... Uh... I worked for a politician funny enough that uh before i got into sales and everything he used to say we like to take our work seriously but not ourselves and it's always stuck with me and that's why i'm such a clown when i work robbie if if that explains our working relationship in the past i can uh,
1: confirm that
0: <laughs> <laughs> see uh, I, I guess my last question just because i think uh I could be wrong, but it sounds like you like sometimes going against the crowd. So what is one thing that you believe to be true, Mike, that maybe a majority of people would probably disagree with you on?
2: Um, That you can execute a bottoms up sales cycle really well.
0: Fair enough. There's uh, one company I'm consulting with, per, uh, Scratchpad. They're they're actually within the Salesforce ecosystem. They just help you make it easier for your AEs to update things. Uh, anyway, that's the approach that like they're, they're betting the whole company on it. So I hope it works. And if it doesn't, they need to talk to you.
1: <laughs> you have to, shameless plug.
0: <laughs> you have to be a
2: little more thoughtful about it for sure. I could yeah, I could opine on that for a while, but. Um, it, 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 it a bottoms up sales process can can be successful give give me the choice i'm taking tops down every day of the week um but uh bottoms up can work
1: nice uh well mike thanks for the thanks for the time thanks for the insights thanks for the uh the story and the journey um and uh, and thanks for joining us today uh if folks want to learn more about go-to-market guides or like find you where, where's the best place to, to connect with you
2: yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn um, backslash. Uh, if, oh, I should have been ready with this, but uh, or go to market guides is uh, gtmguides.com. Uh, so G- uh, go to market's abbreviated. Um, and then I'm just pulling up my LinkedIn uh, as well. Um, Mike Davis on there. I'm in a I'm in a like cheesy blue blazer uh, that some of my old colleagues would give me crap about. So. Um, the, you can find me there. Uh, it's listed under TaskRay. It's uh, backslash Tech Mike Davis. Uh, is the full URL?
0: No, this has been great. The biggest surprise to me was that Robbie actually reads The Economist. That was uh, I'm impressed, Robbie. You're. Thank
1: you, playa. Uh,
0: good, 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 choice of content. But must must have been a
2: descriptive uh, headline that day.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, but. It's been a great episode. Uh, Mike, thanks for being a great partner, friend, uh, fan of the show, and now jumping on. Thanks for paying it forward in terms of your context and knowledge. Uh, I hope it turns into business for you, for Tastra, and for GTM guides. You never know. Uh, but at the very least, we just wanted to thank you. So,
2: Thank you guys for having me.
0: All right. Until next time. Yeah. Hi again. Just wanted to thank you for tuning in to another great episode. Uh, If you have any feedback for us, feel free to reach out to either Robbie or myself, uh, Poya. And I just want to wish you a fantastic rest of your day. And thank you for tuning in to another great episode. Thanks so much. Enjoy.